You're listening to teaching from Midtown Fellowship, a Jesus-centered family on mission in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in finding out more about us, our family of churches, or how to partner with us, go to midtowncolumbia.com. yet. My name is Jake. I work here at our downtown church. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn on over to Matthew chapter 6. We'll be spending some time in there. And a quick update, as John said, our part of our church's vision is we want to follow Jesus together. If you were with us at the beginning of the new year, we launched out a new website called followingjesustogether.com with a bunch of resources and plans to just really help you assimilate the practices of Jesus in your life. And it's been really encouraging since we launched that out over a month ago. We've had a few thousand visits on the site, and I'm particularly encouraged by that. It could very well have been just one guy hitting refresh over and over. Even if that's the case, I don't know that. I'm still encouraged regardless. But one particular note that we got that was extremely encouraging, I just want to read it for us really quick. We got this about a week ago. It said, Hey, teaching team, Thank you for the new Following Jesus Together three-week plans. I, along with two others in my life group, chose the discontentment plan for my first plunge, and the practice of examined prayer reconnected me with an exercise my late husband and I used to do. Before we went to sleep, he would remind us to recall the winds of the day before we prayed and closed out the day, and I've missed that practice, and it was a healthy one for me especially. Thank you for helping me reconnect to this. Thank you for the work you do to make these resources available to our church family. You lead us well. I may or may not have cried when I got that email, but it was just really encouraging. Like, this is what we are going after as a church, following Jesus together. And this isn't just specific to Midtown. This is what the church for the last 2,000 years has really been going after, that the more we are with Jesus and doing the things that Jesus did, the more we look like Jesus to the world around us. We can be a light to the darkness, and the spiritual practices are part of how we do that. And so one of the practices we're going to be focusing on during the season of Lent is the practice of fasting. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with that, that's what we're going to be talking about this morning is the practice of fasting. So depending on your church background, you may have never done this before or you don't really have a clear understanding what it's for. So I want to define it for us really quick. Fasting is the practice of refraining from something to focus on something else. We're refraining from something to focus on something else. Now, biblically speaking, fasting was about refraining from food, but in the modern sense, fasting can be about refraining from other things too, whether that's social media or alcohol or TV. And a couple disclaimers on fasting for y'all. Fasting can be misused, just like any other spiritual practice. If you believe doing this thing will make you look better in front of God and other people, then you have it wrong. As well, fasting can be misunderstood. In fact, during the medieval period of the church, there was this very uh, incorrect view of the body and the soul. People thought your body and your soul were two separate categories. Your body was all evil and bad, and associated with that was a negative body image. So fasting was almost this practice in order to downplay your body, in order to increase your spirit. But that is also not biblical. God created you with a body. Your body is good. Jesus lived in a human body. Jesus ate 
and he drank, and he also fasted. So with that, to help us develop a biblical understanding of fasting, to have a Jesus-centered lens of fasting, let's look at Matthew chapter 6. We'll start with verse 1. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is saying, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So really quick, practicing your righteousness was just a way of doing the spiritual practices, the spiritual disciplines in such a way that you were showing off in front of other people. And then Jesus is going to list three specific spiritual practices that he says to be careful on. Beware of your posture and your attitude regarding these spiritual practices. For example, verse 2. Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. And skip on over to verse 3. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Verse 5. When you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. Skip on over to verse 6. But when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now skip on down to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, to be honest with you guys, when I read that passage, what stands out to me is, do not be like the hypocrites. And so, I can easily dismiss this passage and be like, totally, Jesus, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I just want to do the disciplines that feel good to me. I'm off the hook, right? But that's not it. It can be a little misleading. Jesus says, don't do them, but rather do these things rightly. And what's really interesting in Matthew chapter 6, notice the, the pattern that Jesus sets up for us. He says, when you give to the needy, he's not saying if you give to the needy, if you feel like it, he says when. Later, he says when you pray. So the assumption is Jesus is making here, followers of Jesus will give to the needy and they will pray. And then verse 16, he says, and when you fast, not if you fast, the assumption is you will do it. It's never if, it's always when. And that's an important insight when it comes to fasting. Jesus assumes those who follow him will also fast. And he puts it on the same level as prayer and giving to the needy. These are essential practices for his people. He assumes fasting is a part of the way of our spiritual lives. That this is something we will all do together. However... Uh, if I can be honest, without assuming too much, I kind of assume fasting is not a normal part of our spiritual lives. And primarily, I base this off of when we were planning out the Lynch series, and we were going to be fasting from things each week, and I told people the things we were fasting from. People hated me. People were like, why would you do that? People need their TV. People need coffee. It's like, okay, I get it, right? Uh, if at any point during this series you are angry that we are fasting from things, my email is adamgibson at gmail.com. Send that my way. 
Maybe I'm wrong here, but certainly, uh, I certainly trust Jesus' assumptions over my own, but I think in general, fasting, especially living here in the West, is something of a forgotten practice from followers of Jesus. So what I want to do this morning is just set us up and show you why fasting is beautiful and helpful and valuable for us, all right? So number one, number one reason why we fast is to spiritually power up. To spiritually power up. So you can look at this later, but in Luke chapter 4, as John was saying and what we looked at in our Lent guides earlier this week, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is being led by the Spirit, full of the Spirit, into the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days and he eats nothing. And at the end of that 40 days, he does battle with the devil. And so stop right there. Many of us would read that account of Jesus in the wilderness, going without food for a month, and assume that he is weak. He is just so, so weak on all accounts that the only way he's able to get through it, the only way he's able to battle the devil, is because he's God. So we look at that passage and think, well, I mean, he's God, so of course he can do that. He's Jesus, right? But there's more going on under the surface of that. Jesus, in that account, living in a human body, is actually modeling for us what it looks like to tap into the power of the Spirit. Because at the end of his fasting in the wilderness, at the end of him doing battle with the devil, it says in verse 14 of Luke chapter 4, it says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Jesus fasts for 40 days, does battle with the devil, and then he leaves the wilderness, returning in the power of the Spirit of the Spirit. So Jesus is showing us something significant about fasting. It's that when done in the right way, even when you are physically weak, you become spiritually powerful. When you undergo abstaining from things to focus on the things of God, you too are able to access the same power that Jesus did. Now, this is a really silly example, so bear with me. Uh, Back in my day, I played Mario on Nintendo, Anybody else? Not Paper Mario. Not Mario Party. I'm talking Mario on the Nintendo Entertainment System, where you have to blow the dust out of the cartridge to get it to work. Anybody else know what I'm talking about? All right. So, now that I've separated for the 90s kids from the millennials, let me just explain. In Mario, you start out as a little guy, and you're side-scrolling, and you get to your certain enemies, and when you are a little guy, those enemies look really big in comparison, and you want to try to avoid those guys at all costs. But then you get the mushroom, and when you get the mushroom, you grow like three times your size, and suddenly those enemies, what once was something really scary that you want to run away from, now those enemies you can just crush on some Koopas, and suddenly those guys aren't nearly as scary as they were because you powered up. In a similar way... Fasting isn't exactly like that, but it is a little bit. It's a process that's much slower, but the end result is similar. The result is an increase of spiritual power in your life, and it powers us up through the Spirit to fight more than we ever could had we not fasted in the first place. And when we fast, we strengthen what we call our say-no-to-self muscles. So that when we refrain from things, we can become people who are more and more empowered to say no to things. 
Theologian and author Dallas Willard gets at the same thing, that if there is a particular sin in your life that feels unbeatable, that you feel like you have no self-control to say no to those things, strengthen your say no to self muscles and abstain from and fast from something else so that you strengthen those muscles so that you can say no to particular sin issues in your life. Develop the muscles so that you become a person who is more empowered, more likely to say no to other things. So, for example, if you are wrestling with sexual sin and it feels unbeatable in your life and you don't, you're having trouble seeing victory in that, strengthening your say no to self muscles, fasting from something, abstaining from something so that you can become a person who is exercising your self-control muscle to say no more towards sexual sin. Or if you feel like you are addicted to alcohol or tobacco and you can't enjoy them in moderation or responsibly, but you just feel within your body almost this neurological impulse to constantly go after that, you can strengthen your say-no to self-muscles by abstaining from other things, and then you are more likely to say no to that particular issue. Number two, why we fast? To increase our love for others. To increase our love for others. We get this out of Isaiah chapter 58, verse 6. Isaiah reads this, and this is God speaking. Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? So when we fast, we forego what we have in order to love and identify with others, specifically those who have less than us, to identify with the oppressed, to identify with the marginalized, to identify with the vulnerable. And we see that we don't need food as often as we want it. We don't need to be in front of a TV screen all the time, but rather, the more we step back from those things, the more we are able to open our eyes to the brokenness of the world around us, the more we are able to see more clearly the things that God sees in the world. And I was reading even somewhere this week that about 15% of the Bible is connected to caring for the poor to loving the marginalized. Some 2,000 verses in the Bible deal directly with loving the outcast, caring for the poor, because God has created them as beautiful image bearers. And when we fast, we begin to take the focus off of ourselves and are more able to see the things that God sees in the world, namely injustices and the outcast. So if you're new to our church, we partner with several organizations in our city and nonprofits that help serve the vulnerable and the marginalized, known as our Serve the City initiative. And we want everyone in our church family to be partnering with these organizations. And oftentimes it can just feel really hard to move people to care about those things, where sometimes it just feels like we're pulling teeth to get people to sign up to care about our Serve the City events. And one easy way, according to Isaiah, is if you want to be a person who cares for that, one way to do that is through fasting. By opening up your eyes to see that people need to be loved and served and cared for, and you could be the very means to help do that in the world. Number three, why we fast. We fast to get more of God. To get more of God. So fasting becomes this reminder that your body gives you to teach you that you are not dependent on food, but on God. And that's why in the Bible we see fasting almost always, always 
accompanied with prayer because prayer is one of those major practices to demonstrate our dependency on God. We see this in the life of Jesus, John chapter 4. Jesus says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Or Matthew chapter 4, Jesus says, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying more than you need sustenance and dependency on food, you need sustenance and dependence upon God's will and the Holy Spirit. Or as Dallas Willard puts it, he says, Fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. So practically speaking, when you fast, specifically when it comes to fasting from food, those hunger pains you experience when you fast become these like little prayer prompts in your life. It reminds you that you are completely dependent upon God. And that's why people couple it with prayer. Prayer acknowledges our dependence on him. So think about if you or someone in your life is just really going through hard, a hard season of life, perhaps they're having a hard time seeing God in their life, if you really want to pray for them and acknowledge that the Holy Spirit has to do a work in their life, fast. Fast. And the moment that you find yourself, the hunger pain set in, or maybe you're fasting from TV, and the moment you realize, oh, I'm not watching TV, that becomes a prayer prompt to then pray for that person, for the Spirit to work in their lives, for God's power to work in their lives, to draw Him to Himself. Or maybe your life group, it feels like you guys are just going through the motions and things have been apathetic or really discouraging and you're having a hard time as a life group and you really want to see the Spirit of God work in your life group. Try fasting. Try abstaining from something altogether to remind you that your dependency is ultimately on God and you need His Spirit to work in and through you and those around you in your life group. Fasting becomes a weapon to catalyze our prayers, which leads us to the last reason why we fast, number four, to reveal who we really are. To reveal who we really are. Author, theologian Richard Foster says this. He says, more than any other single discipline, fasting reveals the things that controls us. Fasting reveals the things that control us. Or another author, Adele Calhoun, who is like a guru in the spiritual disciplines, she says this, Fasting is an opportunity to lay down an appetite, an appetite for food, for media, for shopping. This act of self-denial may not seem huge. It's just a meal or a trip to the mall, but it brings us face-to-face with the hunger at the core of our being. Fasting exposes how we try to keep empty hunger at bay and gain a sense of well-being by devouring creature comforts. Through self-denial, we begin to recognize what controls us. Our small denials of the self show us just how little taste we actually have for sacrifice or time with God. This truth is not meant to discourage us. It's simply the first step in realizing that we have to lay down our life in order to find it again in God. So in other words, if, uh, in other words, try fasting for, from food or something else and just notice what happens in your life when just a little bit of hunger sets in or you really want to watch TV. 
Like if you're doing a busy task or running errands or you're watching three kids ages five and under, just hypothetically speaking, I don't know why that number came up, but what goes on in your mind? What's that inner dialogue in your mind? If you just forego food for just a little bit, what's the inner dialogue? What do you say out loud? And for many of us, I think a big reason why we don't fast is you might say, well, I don't want to do that because I'm really busy, because life is really demanding, and if I miss a meal or if I miss my show, I become really impatient or overwhelmed or I become hangry. Like, I become that Snickers commercial. And it's like, yeah, that's kind of the point. That reveals underneath who you really are. That you're actually an angry or anxious person and fasting from food just brings to the surface what's going on underneath you. Another way of saying it is, hangry is more than just a physical condition. It is a spiritual condition. Now, disclaimer about that. uh, Fasting from food, fasting from social media are a little different. You can go without social media for the rest of your life and you will be completely fine. But yes, if you forego food for the rest of your life, your body will shut down. So I just want to acknowledge that. But what I'm saying here is if you've missed out on a meal or two and you're calling that fasting and you feel like you've lost total grip on your soul and all of reality, then that's what we're talking about. And it doesn't have to be just food that activates this in us. It can be anything that grips our soul. And it happens with more than just food. So take For example, my kids, I have three kids, ages five and under. If I get into the habit of putting them in front of a TV just so I can get some peace and quiet for 10 or 20 minutes, that might be fine for a while. But what happens when I turn off the TV one day and I say, kids, we're not going to watch TV. I want you guys to play outside. Their response is not going to be, oh, Father, you are strengthening my say no to self muscles. You want me to be a person of discipline, to say no. You want us to have character, to have patience and self-control. Thank you, Dad. May you be blessed. (laughs) Is not what they say. World War III happens if I turn off the TV. There is screaming, there is crying, there is stomping, and then I have to send them all to time out, right? There's There's something going on beneath the surface of their soul that has been hiding masked by the cover of TV intake, if not even nurtured by it. And the break from it just brings it out. And this is what fasting does. Fasting, in some respects, exposes to us the still crooked places that exist in our souls, the spots that yet are yet to be touched by Jesus' sanctifying grace, the things that we believe we can't live without. So maybe when you feel overwhelmed or angry or anxious, instead of running to food, you might say, I need, a, I need a beer or I need a glass of wine just to take the edge off a little bit. Or I need to smoke a cigarette just to calm down. Or I need to watch my shows just to decompress at the end of the day. Or I need to go out and hang out with people just to forget about my day. Not knocking any of those things per se, but subconsciously for many of us, If you need something in order to stabilize your soul, that reveals where you really are in your relationship with Jesus. And if you're like, well, my spiritual life seems pretty fine, and I don't really struggle with anything, try giving up the things you do or use routinely and see what happens. 
Try fasting from your phone or social media accounts or your show or any part of your nightly wind-down routine or whatever and just notice the results. Just notice what bubbles up to the surface, what what sinful behaviors or ways of thinking, what alternative coping mechanisms, ways of handling stress and frustration. You'll be shocked at what crooked places still exist in your heart and recognize that conviction that you experience is a grace gift from God that you can then give that to him in repentance and faith and change. Personally speaking, when I started fasting, before I fasted, I thought I was like pretty all right, especially like as a dad. I thought, I'm, I feel like I'm doing okay. I'm not a perfect dad, but I feel like I'm doing good. And then I fasted, and then suddenly just like, all of this ugly stuff just like started coming to the surface of my life. It's like, did they become more annoying? How did this happen? They seem louder. Are they objectively louder than they are? But no, nothing changed with them. What changed was me. It brought to the surface all this ugly stuff. My, my inner dialogue became more apparent. My fuse got shorter. And in those moments, they become little reminders to ask God for his grace, to ask God for his spirit to help me. And by his grace, I'm seeing slow baby step progress in that direction. And that's what we want to get at this season. As we are going through our Lent, God, we want to be reading and praying and fasting together. We want to see what are those areas in our lives that we want to take to Jesus so that we can give that to him, confess that to him, ask God for his grace and his spirit to change us to look more like Jesus. And so for the sake of training ourselves in these 40 days to say no, we'll be abstaining from a lot of things that we think actually have a big grip on our souls as 21st century Americans. So for one week, we are going to go without social media, and all will be right with the world, okay? For another week, we're going to be fasting from TV and movies. For one week, we're going to be fasting from alcohol and caffeine. And it's not to say that any of these things are inherently evil. We're fasting from these things from these things because we recognize we can way too easily use these things as a means to chasing after control or comfort or they can just become a spiritual distraction in our lives that we feel so dependent on them that we can't do life without them. And then I do want to add, well, this week in particular, starting tomorrow in the guide, we're going to be fasting from background noise. So rather than having the TV on in the background or just having the radio playing just so you can zone off for a while, instead we're going to opt into inviting in silence and asking God into those moments to focus our attention on him. And I want to add one word on the final week. For the final week of Lent, we'll be fasting from food for one day. And I know for many of us, we have complications when it comes to food, a complicated relationship, whether that's low blood sugar, dietary restrictions, or you've been diagnosed with an eating disorder or have previously struggled with one. And we understand that, and that's in part why we're only going to do it for one day on the final week. So if that's you, we'd encourage you during that week, discuss it with your life group, the right way to approach that week. And either way, there's freedom, and there's flexibility, and there's so much grace for that. And maybe you do it, and you ask Jesus to sanctify your motives while you do it. Or maybe you decide not to do it, which either way you choose. We are good either way, whatever you decide between you and your life group and the Lord. And it's really our hope that as we fast together, 
we will be made more like Jesus in the long run. That for many of us who uh, haven't really done the practice of fasting before, our hope is at the end of these 40 days that we might assimilate fasting more regularly in our lives. So our aim is not just these 40 days as a church. Our aim is the next 40 years together following Jesus, being made more like him. So if one of these weeks fasting from something was particularly hard, the hope is at the end of this season you might step back and say, wow, I didn't realize how big of a grip that was over my soul. That was awkward and confusing, and maybe I need to reassess how much time I give to this particular thing. Or you might ask during this season, you might think to yourself, I kind of lost my mind when we fasted from TV for a week. I was bored. I didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know how to interact with another human being if we weren't staring at a screen together. So maybe I don't need to be watching TV so much. Fun fact, about two years ago, we fasted together from TV for a week, and one guy in our church family was so distraught and so bored, he asked his wife in the middle of the week, Honey, where do we keep the books? (laughs) It's like, what is this thing called reading? Or maybe you realize that during one particular part of our fasting during these 40 days, maybe you realize that you are a horrible human being without caffeine in your life. Okay, yeah. What does that reveal about you? Now take that to Jesus. And it's not that, well, once this week is over, then I'm going to drink coffee and we're going to be fine, so what's the point? No, it's realizing that if it has that big of a grip on your life, where do you need to step back and reevaluate your posture with it? And as we build these practices into our lives, we fight back by saying no. And when we fight back, we become more and more like Jesus, and that's the end goal. So to end this morning, I know for many of us, you still have reservations and you have objections when it comes to fasting and abstaining from things. You don't like this practice, but I think the biggest reason underneath that why we don't like fasting, it's not about a theological issue or some certain particular point in church history, but I think the biggest reason is because living in a Western American culture, we assume the best life is found in saying yes to everything. That the good life is found in pursuing comfort and happiness at all costs. If you don't believe me, just go to Target, and I almost guarantee you will walk out of Target with something you didn't realize you needed, but it was just there on the rack, and you just had to have it. And that's silly, but the evidence for this is everywhere. Amazon made their living off of this. Why go to a store? Why wait a week? I can get it today. Give me now, right? We even use words like consume and binge to describe how we watch TV. We're all about maximizing the moment and immediate gratification. And the truth is, if this is your perspective on life, then fasting makes no sense to you whatsoever. It just feels like an odd exercise in masochism. And when this becomes the story you ground yourself in, of course you have no category in your life for saying no. Or if you do, it's only the most extreme examples like addiction. So rather than seeing that, so uh, what we want to do is we want to practice denial and self-discipline, even in the small areas of our lives, even if we don't see direct harm in our lives immediately, even if it's not glaringly apparent, we want to practice saying no to our lives, and over time we become more and more like Jesus. And the reality is, 
constantly living by saying yes to everything, maximizing our comfort, maximizing our happiness, it's just not working. It's just not working for any of us. Living in a culture of yes over and over again, over time, all it produces in us is, an, is anxiety and discontentment, apathy, of constantly feeling overwhelmed. It leads us to feeling complete despair if we don't get what we want. And even if we do get what we want, it just leaves us spiritually hollow inside. Living by a culture of yes gives us no resources on how to navigate the difficult seasons of life. It gives us no hope for how to understand suffering. It gives us no spiritual power whatsoever whenever we operate through the lens of yes, yes, yes. But Jesus in the Gospels shows us a better way that by saying no to the right things, we can say yes to the best things. So that the invitation to fasting is an invitation to something so much greater than our in-the-moment happiness. And God is not about squashing your desires, but realigning your desires to be grounded in him. And fasting, just like any other spiritual practice, it's not about right technique, but it's about right posture to get before the Lord expectantly, asking the Spirit of God to work in your life so that we can become like Paul in Philippians 3 who says, I count everything as a loss. Everything as a loss whether that's social media or TV or caffeine, we count all of it as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord, that I may know him in the power, that we may know him in the power of his resurrection. That's what we want. That's what we're going after this Lent season, to count everything as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. So we're going to be reading the Bible together and praying together and fasting together. And it's our hope through all of this that the Spirit of God would really work in our lives and in our life groups and in our city, not just for these 40 days, but for years and years to come. And what's wild is when you look at church history, whenever the Spirit of God would do work on a massive scale, the pattern was always God's people coming together, reading their Bibles, praying and fasting together. That was always the pattern for which God's Spirit would be unleashed on a massive, massive scale. So that's what we're going after, to be like Jesus and for our city to see Jesus in us.